Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. After the death of Joshua, when the people had settled into the promised land, there was much idolatry throughout the land. The people failed to heed Moses' warning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all you have is multiplied, you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and say in your heart, My power and my might and my hand have gained me this wealth. The book of Judges describes how God's people were constantly falling into idolatry in different places throughout the land. They were, and after that, they were given into power of their enemies and delivered by judges that God would raise up when they would repent and cry out to him for salvation. During the time of the kings, the, so too idolatry had filled the kingdoms after the reign of David. Solomon built shrines for his pagan wives. When the kingdom was split after Solomon's death, the northern kingdom immediately set up idols at Dan and Samaria. And while good kings in both kingdoms would eventually rise up and reform the kingdom and put away idolatry, many times after their death, their immediate successors would once again revert to idolatry. The prophets constantly warned the people that unless they repented of their idolatry and trusted in the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, God would bring disaster upon them in accordance with the words of the covenant that they agreed to. As the prophets warned, the people repented and the disaster was stayed. Eventually, however, the disaster would come. Idols not only had their own shrines, but they were placed directly in the temple of God, the place where he promised to be in grace and mercy for his people. His priests committed shameful acts in the temple. They did not teach people the way of God, but instead led them astray. They abused the people and their offerings, and the people rejected the prophets and listened to false prophets who confirmed them in their unbelief and told them that everything would be okay, and not to listen to those doom and gloom prophets who didn't know what they were talking about. The people had greatly sinned. They had rejected the Lord their God and refused repentance. As a result, he brought upon them the long-prophesied consequences which, had mercy, which his mercy had held back for so long. The Babylonians attacked Jerusalem. They sacked the city, destroyed the temple, took all of its contents, and exiled the vast majority of the people. Years earlier, the Assyrians had done a similar thing to the people of the northern kingdom, scattering them among the nations. It is during this exile among the Babylonians that Ezekiel the prophet writes. The people had rebelled against God for hundreds of years, and now they were finally facing the consequences as told in the covenant. To be clear, the people were not being punished for the sins of their fathers, as they accused God of doing in Ezekiel. They too, Ezekiel reminds them, had committed the very same sins as their fathers, 
and in many cases surpassed them in their wickedness. As a result, they were in exile. But because they were in exile among the nations, God's people were now there, and the people, as a result, reviled God. They mocked him as if he had turned his back on his people rather than the other way around. They blasphemed him, claiming that he was powerless and could not save his people. As a result of how his people had walked in sin and disobeyed him, the nations took it as a reflection of God himself. His name was everything other than sanctified among the nations because of his people. When those of other nations saw Judah in exile, or saw the temple destroyed and Jerusalem laying flat, they would say, these are the ones whom their, the Lord their God had abandoned. In the midst of all of this, the Lord said through his prophet Ezekiel, I will sanctify my great name, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Despite their sin, disobedience, and rejection, he would bring them out of the nations that they were exiled into and bring them into their own land. In doing this, his name would be sanctified among the nations, and they would see the great work that the Lord God was doing to deliver his people, that they may know that he is God. So too the people of Israel, who had been forgetful of God and of the covenant with him, would hallow God when he gathers them out of the countries and brings them into their own land. Then they too will know that the Lord is God and that he has salvation for all who fear him. The Lord said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God, says the Lord Almighty. Here the Lord promises them not only will he bring them out of Babylon and into the promised land, but he will cleanse them from all of their sins. The imagery used of sprinkling clean water pictures the rite of purification for someone who has come into contact with a dead body. Their idols that they worshipped were dead and lifeless, and they had become defiled by worshipping them. The Lord will cleanse them from their sin and from their attachment to idols. He will change them and give them a new heart to put a new spirit within them. Their hearts were hardened by sin, by continuing in it and turning against him. Their hearts through sin had become like stone as they ignored the warnings of the prophets and their calls to repentance. But after cleansing them of their sin, he would renew them and give them new hearts that respond to him. Moreover, he would grant them his Holy Spirit, so that through the Spirit's indwelling they would desire to walk in all of his statutes and judgments. Even after all that they had done to rebel and reject him, he would still come to them, rescue them, and cleanse them, and put his spirit within them. Yes, he would still be their God, and they would be his people. This was all fulfilled when, during being in exile for 70 years, 
the Lord moved the Persian king Cyrus, who had conquered Babylon, to let the people of Judah go to their own land and to rebuild their temple and their city. When he had done this, Cyrus had wrote a letter and circulated it throughout the empire, which declared the glory of the God of Israel. In this, his name was sanctified among the nations as he brought his people back to their own land, cleansed them from their sins, and caused them to walk in his ways. And while this was fulfilled for them at that time, there is also a spiritual meaning for us which is found in Christ. For all scriptures ultimately point to and speak of Christ. For this prophecy also speaks of and points us towards the new covenant. This new covenant is that which is in Christ Jesus. And unlike the old covenant, which is only for the people of Israel, this covenant is for all and any who come to be in Christ through repentant faith in him, no matter which nation they call home. I will sanctify my great name, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord when I am hallowed before their eyes, for I will take you from among all the nations, gather you out of all countries. The Lord has taken his church, the spiritual and true Israel, out of all nations and all countries. No people are excluded, because Jesus died not only for the sins of Israel, nor for the sins of some, but for the sins of all peoples of all places. And before he ascended into heaven, he commanded his apostles to preach the gospel to all nations and to all creatures, so that it may reach the ends of the earth. Thus God gathers his people into his one holy church from all nations. And this holy church is built up of those who have been cleansed of their sins. I will sprinkle clean water on you, says the Lord, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. This cleansing is the forgiveness of sins, which is justification. This comes to us wholly by God's grace, his unmerited favor. For it is he who first calls us by the gospel out of the nations. This is not because of anything in us, but because of his namesake. That is, of his own will and his favor towards all the world for whom Christ Jesus died. Then he cleanses us from all our filthiness. The filthiness of sin, both original, inherited from Adam, and that which we have committed ourselves, which alienates us from God and condemns us to death. He cleanses us by forgiving it for the sake of Jesus' death for us. This forgiveness that comes from his grace is received by faith when we believe that what Jesus Christ has done in his life and death was for us, that he took our sins upon himself paid the price of our sins with his blood, and was raised for our justification. And so forgiven, we are accounted as righteous for Christ's sake. And this prophecy also includes for us a picture of holy baptism, where those who believe these promises of God attached to it likewise receive the forgiveness of sins, rescue from death and the devil, and eternal salvation. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, says the Lord. In holy baptism, we were washed with clean water, water made clean, not by anything we have added to it, but made clean and cleansing through the word of God found in and with the water according to his promise. Thus, baptism is a cleansing flood, a washing away of sins, as it is God himself 
through the means of the one baptizing, who sprinkles clean water on us and makes us clean. It is not the work of the one baptizing or the one being baptized. It is God himself who does this work, that we may be forgiven. So too at baptism the Lord puts his spirit within us as he promises here. This is confirmed also by St. Peter in his Pentecost sermon where he says to the crowd, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God continues in our prophecy, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. See, brothers and sisters, the promise of our God following our justification, following our cleansing from sin, comes the renewal with the Holy Spirit and sanctification. Those who have not been justified by God, who rely not on Christ's righteousness but on their own, cannot walk in the statutes of God or keep his judgments. For such a person has a heart of stone, a heart hardened by sin, incapable of purely loving God. They are able to walk in certain outward righteousness and restrain their hand from outwardly evil deeds, but because their heart is not a living heart, but a heart of stone, they cannot be justified by their own works. No one can. The only reason that we Christians can walk in God's statutes and keep his judgments and do them is because through the grace of God he has removed our heart of stone and given us a living heart of flesh, so that through daily contrition and repentance we die to sin and rise to new life towards God. He has renewed us by his Holy Spirit, so that our spirit is new, a new creation in Christ. Thus God begins our renewal and new life wherein we have a new and better impulses towards him and our neighbors. This renewal and growth in sanctification continues throughout our lives as Christian people. It is not a perfect growth. It's not as linear as we would like because our old flesh continues to war against us and we still daily sin and always need our Lord's forgiveness. For all sin needs forgiving, even those committed from the weakness of our flesh and those that we struggle against yet have fallen into. But God does not leave us on our own, saying, I have justified you, now you do the rest on your own. Nor does he say, like the Mormon false god, do your absolute best and I will complete it. No, he has given us a new heart, and he has put his Holy Spirit within us, and indeed he himself causes our growth and obedience, no matter how feeble our cooperation. I will put my spirit within you, and will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. See how it is he that causes this. He, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in whom he is justified us by grace through faith, will cause us to walk in his statutes. And so, although our following him and our obedience is his work in us and through us, with very weak participation, according to the new nature we have in Christ, God credits it all to us. I will cause you, you will keep and do. 
these statutes and judgments are the commands of Christ, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and our neighbors as ourselves, that we attend to the hearing of his word and hold it sacred, that we treasure the gifts that he has given us in word and sacrament. And while we do not do this perfectly and cannot in this life, the Lord continues to work in and through us so that, we may, so that he may bless our neighbors through our loving service to them. For we do not rely on our own holiness or righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ alone, trusting that we are forgiven for his sake, and that for his sake we are counted righteous. And so we strive to keep and do and walk in his ways by the guiding and prompting of his Holy Spirit, entrusting to him the work of our hands, knowing that what we do in faith will be acceptable to him through Jesus Christ, so that we ourselves and all of our lives might be living sacrifices to him through faith. Blessed forever be the only true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who has called you by the gospel and taken you out of the nations, who has sprinkled you with clean water and made you clean, and cleansed you from all of your filthiness and sin, so that you are justified in his sight by faith, who has put the Holy Spirit within you, and has taken away your heart of stone and given you hearts of flesh, who is renewing you by his Holy Spirit day by day, and causes you to walk in his statutes, and who forgives you all your sins. May God, through the merit and mediation of Jesus Christ, keep you in this true faith until death, and so bring you to the promised land, the new creation, where, when the same, Jesus Christ comes again on the last day to raise all flesh. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.